The Holy Gospel according to John, the second chapter. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Beloved of God, grace to you and peace from God our Creator and from our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In his sermon last Sunday, Pastor Rood helped us to imagine God as a mother bringing forth life and nurturing her young. When we read these scriptures before us today, especially the Old Testament and the Gospel reading, the image of God that emerges is more of that like a mother bear, one who jealously guards her young, who loves them with a fierce sort of love that protects them from harm and puts them on the path of life. The Exodus text, as you know, is part of a much larger saga of Moses and the Israelites. In this passage we read today, we find the newly liberated Hebrew people in the wilderness gathered at Mount Sinai. They were weary and worn and honestly pretty terrified about their future. Throughout the events of their liberation, they had witnessed God's awe-inspiring power. God had responded to their oppression under Pharaoh and had seen the cruelty and injustice of a system that exploited those with very little power for the benefit of those with enormous power. What the Hebrew people endured in Egypt, I'm sorry to say, is nothing that unique. Empires are built on the backs of slaves. But God was unwilling to accept this. So with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand, God delivered them from bondage. You know the story. Plagues, let my people go, the parting of the sea. It was a triumphant day for the Israelites but also a frightening day, because it was abundantly clear that this was no tame God, and what the future held was not exactly clear. When the people gathered at Mount Sinai, it was with very little idea of what came next. But God knew what came next. God knew that this act of liberation was the beginning of a new story, and a new story called for a new covenant. 
So with a burning sense of love and justice, God once again pledged God's self to the people, promised to be their God, and to form them into a people. God sealed these promises with a gift, the gift of Torah. It was at Sinai that Torah, God's instruction, was given to Moses and then to the people of Israel. We read a small part of this today, the Decalogue, or as Christians call them, the Ten Commandments. Through this gift, a ragtag group of former slaves was given a new identity. They would be people of the Torah, a community bound together by the wisdom of God. The Sinai Covenant did not negate the covenants of the past. It created a future and a path for the Israelites to walk in relationship with God and with each other. Torah is all about relationship. We miss the point when we think of it as a list of rules that are to be slavishly followed. If God had wanted slaves, the people could have remained in Egypt. Torah, including the commandments, is an expression of God's fidelity, of God's love and protection. In its words, we see God's deep desire for relationships that are both just and joyous. Psalm 19, which we sang part of today, is one of several books in the Psalms that express delight in the gift of Torah. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, sweeter than drippings from a honeycomb. Reviving, rejoicing, enlightening, sweet. These aren't words we use to describe a checklist of rules. These are words of well-being. The Sinai Covenant is central to Jewish identity and life, even to this day. As my Jewish friend put it, Sinai is when we became us, when the nation of Israel was born. That's a statement of identity, isn't it? When we became us. All because of the disruptive love of God that turned the tables on tyranny and injustice and illuminated God's vision for humankind and for all creation. We catch another glimpse of this disruptive love in our gospel reading. Jesus entered the temple in Jerusalem with the thousands of other Passover pilgrims who had come to the city for the holiday. In order to offer sacrifices that were considered acceptable, the pilgrims had to exchange any coins they had that had a picture of the emperor on them. Then they had to purchase animals to offer for sacrifice. Doves for the poor people, four-legged creatures for the rich ones. An entire religious economic system had grown up around beliefs and practices of sacrifice. When Jesus saw the time and energy devoted to this system, as well as the exploitation of people, he disrupted the whole thing. He turned over the tables, drove the animals and the profiteers out of the temple. It's a dramatic scene, and an image of Jesus that might not be our favorite one. This isn't, let the little children sit on my lap, Jesus. 
or let me carry home the lost lamb, Jesus. This is passionate, prophetic Jesus, naming what he saw to be distorted practices of piety. We need to take care in how we understand this text. Jesus was not rejecting Judaism. He was a Jew. Rather, he rejected what Brian McLaren calls the religious-industrial system of the day. These systems tend to develop in every generation, in every religious tradition. They distort what's at the heart of faith and prey on people rather than leading us more deeply into relationship with God and with each other. When I read this story, I ask myself, where does the church get it wrong in this way? How do practices that we are familiar and comfortable with actually harm people rather than connect them to the life-renewing grace of God? What tables need to be turned in our faith community, in our congregation, in our denomination, in our religious tradition? For I do believe that the God who liberated the slaves from Pharaoh's Egypt and cleansed the temple is still at work in this world. The Spirit of God is on the loose, disrupting that which diminishes us, that which holds us in bondage and harms God's good creation. God is at work even now to revive and enlighten us and to wrap us in the covenant love that has healed and saved God's people throughout history. As Christians, we are brought into this covenant love and connected to this life-giving grace through Jesus Christ. This morning, as we baptize little Inga Amelia, we will hear the covenant promises again. And as we wrap her in a baptismal quilt, we will remember how each of us is wrapped in God's fierce and faithful love. This love will continue to comfort us and challenge us throughout our days. It will call us to just and joyous relationships, even when we struggle mightily with them. The love of God poured out for us in Christ is the love who makes us who we are, the body of Christ, for the sake of the world. Thanks be to God for this covenant love that will not let us go. Amen. We sing together. Thank you.